morning, Christchurch. Good to see you here this morning. We'll let the chaos die down. Um, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans 13, 8 to 14, second half of the chapter. We'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for uh, the blue skies and the, the warmth and just the, the comfort knowing that you are creator. And Lord, as we think about uh, the beautiful weather that we're having right now, we also are reminded of the uh, hurricane that's that's happened and is continuing to uh, continuing to, to move through uh, the Carolinas and we just pray for safety uh, and for uh, those who are who are there to, to help clean and to help uh, keep people safe we just pray that they would be uh, well organized and, and purposeful in, in what they're doing uh, Lord we just pray most of all that your name would continue to be glorified uh, even in the midst of uh, disaster and, and struggle that those people who might uh, be there helping who are believers would proclaim your name and your truth, uh, knowing that even even in the storm you are in control. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, and we we thank you for your word. We ask that as we turn to it now, we would be filled and moved by it. We would have soft hearts and uh, and and, saw, and and ears to hear and eyes to see uh, what you might have us uh, learn today. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. <clears throat> oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Again, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be present here speaking the truth of the word to us. So, last week... We talked about submitting to authorities. I want to start this week by, by, by mentioning two things. Number one, uh, Paul is a train of thought preacher. Okay, train of thought 
writer or, or dictator, whatever you want to call him, meaning not dictator like government dictator. That's a poor choice of words there. But speaking to somebody else to write it down. Anyway, I hope you got that. Paul, he's, he's a train of thought person. Peter, on the other hand, we're studying First Peter in our Wednesday Bible study. He's a, a rabbit trail guy. Like He'll go down a rabbit trail. He'll talk about this. And it almost completely uh, doesn't matter to the main point of his letter. Like First Peter is about the about perseverance and suffering, and, and and Peter talks about a lot of different things. He's a rabbit trail guy. Paul is a train of thought guy. He'll just he'll just keep going. He's he's pretty he's got his moments, but he's pretty fixated upon his time, which means that that everything ties together. So last week we talked about. We talked about us submitting to authorities. And I want to make one, not correction, but one clarification. I concluded last week by saying that, that based on the text in Romans 13, we should live lives on this bedrock of pacifism while always listening for God to tell us otherwise. And I think we could, we could maybe misunderstand this and think that it's up to us to decide when a governing authority is no longer a governing authority. And this is incorrect. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily think that everybody thought that, but I want to make sure that, that I don't misrepresent what Scripture, I think, says. I think rather what we should think is that governing authorities, God puts people into governing authority. He, he, he establishes governments. He, he, he gives them power. And also God takes it away. And so when we look at the book of Judges, for instance, out of Scripture, we see that there's this cycle. The people of Israel sin. God raises up a foreign nation to rule or to govern over them. And this is by God's design, by God's purpose. And the people of Israel realize their sin, realize their desperate need for God, repent and cry out to God. And then God decides this government is no longer in authority. And he removes them from authority by raising up a leader. This is what I really think this text maybe is showing us. Or, or the whole counsel of God is probably better, better put. The whole counsel of God shows us about governing authorities. We should live our lives trusting that God is in control. We should live our lives trusting that God is in control. And also know that if God is in control too, put in government, he also has the control to take out government. Enough of that. We talked about that last week. But in the middle of last week's passage, Paul gave us this little almost flourish while he's talking about government. He's talking about submitting to authorities, or rather submitting to God. He says, would you, in verse 3 of 13, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? And that's kind of an odd way of saying this, but but I think what Paul is actually saying is, if you don't want to fear authority, here's what you do. Then do what is good. I think that's what Paul is saying. And I think this is what Paul picks up again as we come out of this conversation on authority and enter into our passage today. I also think these, these passages are connected because Paul goes in verse 7, pay to them Pay to all what is owed. Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. Pay. Pay is a, a financial term. And then also verse 8, in the first verse of our passage, he says, owe no one. Also a, a seeming financial term. Right? So he's, he's kind of building off of this thought that he had last week. Respect God's 
plan and authority. And, and the only thing that you can do is alter yourself. And this, is, this is ultimately what Paul's going to get at. We can, we can influence all we want, or we can influence all we, we think we can. That's all we can really do with everybody else. I can come up here, I can preach a sermon and try to influence you to change. I can come to you and try to influence you through a conversation. The government can influence you by setting up rules and regulations. The government can also influence you, influencing, influence you, excuse me, by cracking down, right? A dictator is, the only thing a dictator really can do is just influence strongly. The only thing that we can do is influence others, but we can change ourselves. What do you think, uh, how do you think you avoid uh, being on the bad side of a government? Do good, Paul says. Do good. Well, how do we do good? Here's, our, here's Paul's answer, I think. Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, I think people like Dave Ramsey and others like him who talk a, a great deal, actually I think Dave Ramsey's entire ministry is about finances, they talk a great deal about being debt-free. And, and, and I think even Dave Ramsey will say that debt in itself is not sinful. Now, scripture doesn't condemn debt. Scripture condemns slavery to debt. And slavery to debt can manifest itself in a number of ways. There's a number of laws in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus that guide how we should have debt or give debt. It's not Debt in itself is not sinful, but being enslaved to that debt is, or being enslaved to the one maybe who's given you the debt is. We should be free. Here in this particular passage, while I think Paul might, might be referencing finances, that's not, in fact, what he's talking about primarily. And I'll look again at verse 7 to, to kind of prove my point. He says, pay everyone what, what they owe, what you owe them. Taxes, revenue, yes, those are finances, but then he also says respect and honor. He's broadening this picture. Owe no one anything. We live in a culture that is predominantly, uh, predominantly driven by law. This is how we function. It's how we know whether we're doing good things or bad things, whether the law tells us we're good or bad. Paul is writing in what's called an honor and shame society. And in an honor and an honor and shame society, your actions are primarily based upon building honor for yourself or building respect for yourself and or honoring and respecting somebody else. And so you can, in fact, become indebted to a person who is respectable and honorable because they have done things for you. So if you're in a business partnership, for, as an example, if you're in a business partnership and you come in equal partners, both of you getting the same amount to begin with, and then from then on, your partner is constantly helping the, co the company succeed, you know, giving little loans here and there or, or staying there late or, or doing this thing or that thing or constantly working to make the company better, and all you really are doing is just kind of reaping the benefits of his actions, what has just taken place is he's, he's, he's gained a, a reservoir of good deeds. So his honor has grown and yours has stayed segment. And so in that business partnership, now you owe him. I think this is what Paul's talking about. 
Don't owe anybody anything. Rather, rather, don't owe anyone anything. Or, but rather, I think what he's saying is owe them only love. Don't owe anybody deeds. Don't owe anybody uh, money. Don't owe anybody anything except for love. How can this play out? I think on a simple basis, we should not look to each other as a, as a group of people that we're uh, making transactions with. If I do something nice for you, you will do something nice for me. But I think in addition to that, we need to be thinking of ourselves as constantly on the lookout for doing things for somebody else without the, uh, without the idea of receiving that. Oh, no, in anything except to love each other. Now, some might ask the question, and, and we've talked about this over the last couple weeks as we've talked about what love actually is. We might say, how can we, how can we manifest love? Because if we go by our definition in American culture in the 21st century, love is an emotion, something that I feel. It's butterflies in my stomach. It's Probably crassly put, it's lust. Most of the time, that's all it is. It's a really shallow and, quite frankly, worthless definition of love. Paul's definition of love is much more practical. It's much more straightforward. It's much more real, in fact, and I think it's much more valuable. Love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I think Paul is defining love for us. What does it mean to love somebody? It means to think of their needs. I think, simply put, I think that's a fairly decent definition. Think of somebody else's needs. Now, in the realm of the Christian world, when we're thinking about somebody else's needs as a a Christian, we think of their needs before our own. But I think a simple definition of love, and it'll play out here towards in verse 10, I think a simple definition of love is to think of somebody else's needs. And here's here's his list. He says, look at the commandments. Look at the Ten Commandments. He only lists off four, but for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet, covet. And any other commandment, they're summed up in this one word. This one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul here, he's referencing Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. If you want to go there in your Bible sometime, you can, you can go there. But he's also, I think, referencing something that Jesus said in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Jesus is asked by the Pharisees. They come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, Jesus, he rattles off what every good Jewish person would know to be the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Now the verse that he is quoting starts in verse 4. The passage he's quoting starts in verse 4. But he, he skips to the, to the second verse. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And then, he says, and the second is like it. It's connected, and you can't separate them. Paraphrasing Jesus here. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Again, here we're, we're back to this love thing. We need to love God. We need to love our neighbors. What is love? Love is thinking of somebody else's actions. Love is thinking of somebody else's needs. Excuse me. Thinking of somebody else's needs. Maybe even as much as our own needs. Let me tell you a story. 
This week, I know this is going to be surprising. This week I got hungry. Anybody else? Anybody else get hungry this week? I got hungry this week. You know what I did? I got food and I ate it. And I was no longer hungry. I had a headache earlier in the week. I actually have a headache right now, and I took some ibuprofen to make my headache go away because I don't like headaches. Anybody else go to the fair? We all love the fair. Went to the fair, and it right we had this rainstorm, this huge tropical storm that came through, and all this water. I was walking around the fair, and at one point, I caught myself. I noticed. I noticed something that I did. It was really, it was really spectacular. I'm a really good person. I was walking down the fair. There was a puddle of water on the ground. And as I was walking towards it, I decided to move out of the way and not step in the puddle because my shoes were already dry. And I didn't want to walk around the fair with wet feet. Aren't I special? Right? Nobody's agreeing with me. You're saying, well, well, of course you didn't, Ryan. That's that's normal, natural things to do for yourself. You're not going to just purposely walk into a puddle just to walk around the fair with wet feet. See, sometimes we overcomplicate what love is. Love is just simply thinking of somebody else's needs. I think of my needs without even thinking about it. Hungry, I eat. Thirsty, I drink. Headache, Tylenol. Wet feet, change my socks. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, listen, think about other people. Don't, don't harm them with adultery or murder or stealing or coveting. But rather, love them like you love yourself. You think of your own actions all day long, again, without even thinking about it. So how do I love my neighbor as I love myself? It's not about self-esteem. Right, again, if we think that loving ourselves is about self-esteem, we've again misrepresented what biblical love is. Low self-esteem is, is wrong, and, and high self-esteem is wrong. Rather, we should think of ourselves only as God sees us, as sinners saved by grace. No, we need to be more practical. We need to be more simple. How do I, how do I fulfill the law? Thinking of others. And it doesn't have to be grand gestures. It's as simple as you see somebody walking down the fair and there's a puddle in front of them and they're, they're obligated on their phone or they're, they're distracted and you say, hey, buddy, there's a puddle. Or maybe better, a, a pile of, of horse manure. We, we simply think of the things that we would desire and do them for the people who are around us. I get hungry, I don't, even, I don't even flinch to eat. Isn't it sad that we live in a culture where the government is responsible for feeding those who are, who are hungry and poor? Did you know that, that's the, that's, that those, are, those are Christians? That's a Christian's responsibility? And we've failed so miserably that our, our, our poor, corrupt government has to do it for us? Isn't that sad? Does anybody agree with me that that's sad? We should love our neighbors. And Paul says this, this is something very specific. This is something very, very important. He says this is how we fulfill the law. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Earlier on in the book of Romans, he's talking about how, how impossible it is that we, that we follow after the law, right? He says, you can't do it. People have tried and have never accomplished it. There's, there's, no, there's no amount of, of will exertion that will get you to, to fulfill all the things in the law. But here it is. Just think of other people like you think about yourself. This is a cause and effect. Let's go back to what, what I said. This passage I think is it's coming out of. Paul says, if you don't want to be on the bad side of the government, do good. Well, how do I do good? Well, good is the law. How do I do good? Well, I love my neighbor like I love myself. I wish it was more complex than that. Maybe it would, it would seem better. Some, some complicated calculus formula that shows me how to do good actions. Oh, actually, I should just simply think of others. Verse 11, Paul says, besides this. So here, here's what I think Paul's doing. I think he's saying there is one outcome that we're after to do good. That's the one outcome that we're after. And there's, there's one way of, of getting there, thinking of others, love others. But then he says, besides this, in addition to this, another way to do this is what he is going to say now. Besides this, as a separate task altogether to fulfilling the command to do good. Besides this, you know the time. You know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What's Paul talking about? Context matters. Paul and many of the first believers thought that Jesus was going to come back now. Paul probably confidently believed that Jesus was going to come back before he died. We can attest that that was not the case. Jesus did not come back. Revelation, end of days, come back before, before Paul dies. And this is something that the New Testament writers kind of begin to realize as you get later and later into the into the conversation, into the, into the uh, writings of the New Testament. But at this particular point, Paul writes and he says, look, you know that Jesus is soon going to come. Salvation is nearer now than it was before. The word salvation is difficult in the book of Romans because Paul uses it to represent three different things. I think he does this because these three different things are so intimately tied together that we can't really separate them properly. Paul says earlier on that you are justified by the blood of Christ. You're justified by faith in Jesus and His work. That's a point. That is salvation. We're set right in God's eyes by the blood of Christ. Period. It's salvation. And then there's this period after you have been justified in the sight of God, you have been set right in His eyes until your death that we call sanctification. This is also salvation. 
This is salvation past, present, future. Present is sanctification. Future is, I think, what Paul is referring to here, which is the point of our death when we are finally glorified. Salvation when we finally meet God face to face. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So when we first believed, that's justification. When we finally die, that's glorification. All of us who are believers are somewhere in the middle of these two things. And we're going towards our death. Right? We all recognize that. And so, so naturally, as we get closer and closer, the time is getting shorter. It's, it's not complex. Paul says we're getting nearer to either Jesus coming back or us dying. What is he saying? An event, a very important event is about to take place. Missy and I differ in an opinion. And I think Missy might be right. It's a shocker. I think Missy might be right. A couple months ago now, it's, it's Declan had his second birthday. Right? And we had a birthday party for him. And I think that was the first birthday party that we had at our house since we did the addition. And we had my, my family, so my parents, my brothers and sisters and their, their families, and Missy's family, their, his, her mom and dad, and brothers and sisters, and just a few friends who I think all are actually cousins who have kids the same age as Declan. So really, just people who have been at our house win our house is not spotless. And you know what we did? We cleaned it. We cleaned our house. We cleaned the toilets. We swept the floors. We cleaned the, we cleaned the toys up. We swept the floors again because we made another mess. And I say this inevitably. Every time we have people over to my house, I say this to me. Why are we doing this? All these people know us, and they know that our house is not this clean all the time. But Missy cares. Which is good, right? I'm, I'm admitting that I'm the one at fault here. Miss, she cares enough to go, you know what? I want people to come into my house and go, you, you care enough about us and about our relationship to clean our house and to make it look nice and to make it smell nice. It's not because we have to clean our house. It's not because if we, if we don't clean our house, we'll be disowned by the people coming over. I think probably most of us in this room have, have people like that in our lives if, if you're not one of them. I think this is what Paul is referring to. Jesus is coming back. He has, he has come to this earth. He has suffered. He's died. He's shed his blood. He has done so much that we can't even begin to list off all the things that he has done to show us that he cares deeply for us. That he loves us. And Paul says, therefore, get ready. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to look at myself and go, you know what? I, I have been saved and redeemed by the blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And now He is coming to, to receive me. He's coming to get me, to bring me to His Father, to, to, to finally release me from this body of flesh and death and brokenness. So let me, I'm going to alter my life. I'm going to remove the wickedness and the darkness, the, the darkness from my life. What's more, I'm going to get serious about it. I think maybe we, we overlooked this last little verse here. 
that we can perhaps overlook this last little verse here. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get rid of sin and put on right action. And he says, he says this, and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy, to gratify, excuse me, its desires. Make no provision. What does he mean? Did you know that sin very rarely happens in an instant? Especially habit sin, habitual sin. Sins that, that we struggle with. Sins that are, are from our past, before we know Christ, before we knew Christ, before, our, before the moment of our justification. These, these sins have been part of our lives that are dogging us. Did you know those sins don't happen in an instant? We, we allow ourselves subtle gratifications of this desire before the moment of full relinquishment. If you're an alcoholic, you probably shouldn't be going to bars. It's very difficult to sit in an environment with, where the normal and natural response to where you're at is the sinful act that's a part of your life. If you're addicted to pornography, you should probably not get on your computer when nobody is at home. If you are a gossip, let's, let's remember there's, there's other sins. Don't hang around the, the water cooler because you know so-and-so is coming and we can talk ill of the person down the street or down the cubicle. Don't satisfy the don't don't gratify the desires of your heart because of your of your flesh because your flesh wants sin. It desires it. It wants to pull you into darkness and any little any little thread that it can grab hold of, it's gonna. So how do we how do we alter our lives? How do we do good actions? Paul gives us two paths. Two distinct and individual paths that I think obviously we should probably do both. Not only separately, but together. We should seek to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We should think about those who are around us. We should look at the things that are happening in their lives. We should desire to avoid the puddles with them. And we should also recognize that our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming to finally bring us into the presence of His Father. And we're so excited for it because we're so excited and ant. We're going to prepare our hearts to meet Him. I think once again this, this brings us back to the first part of chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God in heaven, we thank you for the blood of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you have so freely sent him to this earth that he might redeem and rescue us. Lord, we thank you that we, who you have called, are justified by our faith in him. 
And Lord, as you fill us with your spirit and as you illuminate for us areas of our lives where we uh, still hold tight, we just pray that we would be uh, strengthened and encouraged by the work of your spirit to think of others before ourselves and to prepare our hearts and our minds for the return of your son, Jesus. Whether it's in the final days, final days of this world or the final days of our lives. Lord, strengthen and encourage us this day. Thank you and we praise you. And we pray this in your precious and holy name.